Hey there, demons and sociocurls. girls. Welcome to the Office Goblin Podcast. I'm Ez. And I'm Dee. And we are high-anxiety-having goblins. Two <laughs> goblins on the internet that have many thoughts, interests, and about stuff and things. I think I flubbed it up, but that's fine. <laughs> because, baby, you know what time it is? It's anxiety time. So it's welcome anxiety to an- time. <laughs> yeah, welcome to another tantalizing episode in which we dive deep into what it's like to navigate the world as just two goblins with anxiety. So let's get into it. <laughs> two goblins with incredibly hyperactive nervous systems. Oh, overstimulated, constantly firing. Because you know what they say, <laughs> neurotransmitters that fire together wire together, eh? Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... S and I really do think this is a perfect time to talk about anxiety, just... <laughs> personally you know personally i think both of us are are going through it and it's a good day (laughs) to let these demons out yeah personally (laughs) professionally spiritually absolutely so i guess like any good story we're gonna start from the beginning when did you first notice these signs that something was off in your body in your mind and how did that take you to where you currently are as someone who experiences anxious feelings, anxiety? So I didn't realize anything was wrong until college. Yeah. And when I got to college and I started taking psychology classes, mm-hmm. which of course, that's when we all start self-diagnosing and every professor says, <laughs> don't self-diagnose, you know, people take years to figure out how to read these tests correctly. And I feel like there are still some of us, though, that have a little extra spice going on in our brains. Like, oh, no, no, this is me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I just happen to have a very spicy brain. And when I realized that people don't tend to overanalyze every single sentence that comes out of their mouth or comes out of everyone else's mouths, uh, don't come up with the absolute worst case scenarios for every interaction possible and then take steps, like active steps to avoid those situations and then constantly worry and think about every person they care about to make sure they're not dead. I found out that that's not how people think on a daily basis. And I went, oh, maybe it's me. Me, the root of my problems, it's more likely than you think. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you never want to be the special person. (laughs) Right. Yeah, the call is coming from inside the house. (laughs) Oh my god, they're in the goddamn walls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. It's like a fun house, you know the fun house with all the mirror walls? And you've just been looking at yourself the whole time, but you're like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Yeah, it's so if I if I had actually grown up in a neighborhood, a family, I mean, there's so many what ifs, right, that Mm -hmm. took mental illness seriously, I probably would have been diagnosed in by like 12. (laughs) If I think back on it, you know, Mm -hmm. but as it stands, I don't think I've ever had a professional tell me I have anxiety. I just have told other people 
you know what? I have anxiety and yeah, I didn't get help for it until grad school. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, listeners, uh, SD was ex- talking about her experience and those feelings that she's had. I just sat there nodding my head the whole time <laughs> because like you, my experience was very similar I didn't get a formal diagnosis of generalized anxiety until I was in my late 20s, very late 20s, on the cusp of orbiting the 30th ring around the the sun or whatever. (laughs) And all this time, I thought it was something else. I was just like, oh, maybe I'm sad. Oh, God. Or, you know, things like that. And it was more of... I have anxious feelings, but I've never identified as someone who had anxiety. Oh, right. Yeah, you know, it's like the thing that we talked about episodes ago. It's um, the difference between just being sad versus actually having clinical depression. Right. So what are normal anxious feelings in day-to-day situations versus formal full-blown anxiety? And Mm -hmm. I probably should have been diagnosed as a very small child. (laughs) And then, you know, it isn't until you're well in the thick of it, an adult and also a mental health professional that didn't realize what was lurking beneath their nose. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the case for a lot of today's youth, especially Mm -hmm. when you come into high school where there's all of these expectations thrown on you to be the smartest, be the fastest, be the best at everything you can possibly get your grubby little hands on. So everyone in school with me kind of felt the same. We were all at the end of our ropes just for four years straight. And it became so normalized that when I think back on it, I had my first full-blown meltdown panic attack junior year of high school. And it Mm -hmm. was after I got a C. A C on a physics test. And I was so distraught that i almost threw up in the bathroom how did you know aside from that just like such a state that your body was in that you know you almost got sick in the bathroom how did you realize oh gosh this is a panic attack and how did you go through it and deal with it that first time experiencing it i did not have the vocabulary at the time it was happening Mm -hmm. i just knew I was panicked. And this is this is the messed up part, right? Is like I was more panicked about having other people know that I got a C on a physics test mm-hmm. than getting the C in the first place. Yeah. And so I I remember being in the bathroom and I one of my best friends at the time, you know, came in and found me and kind of helped me calm down and breathe and and talk me through it. And I feel like that's the only real reason that I didn't I didn't go home basically that day with, from the nurse because I had a friend mm-hmm. there. And neither of us knew what it was called. Neither of us had the language of panic attack or anxiety. It was just mm-hmm. high stress. That's what we called it. It was stress. It was a freak out, you know. And But it really took years later for me to look back and go, that was – that was a turning point, you know, and it wasn't for the better. It was kind of for the worse for a few years there. Yeah, because I guess it's this unexplored landscape of what is this that I'm experiencing? Because clearly the levels were getting higher and higher of anxiety mm-hmm. in your body. And 
that had to go somewhere, right? Like a volcano has to erupt, those feelings came out and the sea was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, I I can't tell you the number of times I've been to urgent care between mm-hmm. undergrad and grad school because I thought I was having heart attacks. I thought I was having like medical emergencies happening to me. Mm-hmm. And then I would get there and they would tell me that every like all of the tests are fine, everything's fine, and it it took years before I realized that it was my anxiety that was making me think you're dying basically. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience where in the latter part of high school I was diagnosed with a heart murmur. Oh. Because I was having chest pains, right? And uh-huh. then in grad school, it kind of reached a peak, not only because of just the exhaustion, the stress, the, you mm-hmm. know, the lack of regular meals, whatever, that, you know, I had gone to a cardiologist for mm-hmm. an EKG and an echo and everything. And I mean, the pains were really bad at that point, And I haven't had them since. Fortunately, the anxiety Good. has manifested in other ways. But at the you know in between what is the heart murmur what is the anxiety it was right. a really scary time and we talked about this before also just as young women and women in general the symptoms of a heart attack <laughs> right. are so different and the pain tolerance of women is so different mm-hmm. so i find that really interesting that there's a lot of similarities there right i mean I I waited at home for almost five hours before I had my husband take me to the hospital for them to then remove my appendix. Damn. Like, I just figured it was cramps or anxiety or, you know, like when you're, when you're in pain so much uh, for various different reasons, you don't realize it's an emergency until, one, the pain hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. And... Thankfully, I don't have something like fibro where the pain just never stops because then I really wouldn't know if it's an emergency or not. Mm-hmm. That you just – you don't take it as seriously as it might actually be because you don't know if it's serious or not. Yes, and it's the culmination of the soft signs, right? Like it's not like a hard sign. You ha- you broke a bone. The bone's poking out of your arm. Clearly, it's mm-hmm. a broken bone. Reset it. But right. – when you have all these similar overlapping symptoms that could be any number of things, both mm-hmm. requiring immediate medical attention and those just requiring, let's say, medication management, stress management, or a culmination of all those things, it's so hard to navigate that landscape. And it is a canyon, cavernous, <laughs> slippery slope of a landscape. <laughs> it's It's terrible. And I, like you, have gone to a heart specialist and had all of the tests run and you know i didn't have i didn't hear anything back on anything negative no no one called me and said you know you have a heart murmur or you have mm-hmm. something's wrong with your valves or something's wrong with your lungs or something's wrong with this like i i never heard anything so i'm assuming that i don't have anything wrong with my heart mm-hmm. and before that way before that like I want to say the year after I graduated from grad school, I had to go to a gastroenterologist because I was having heartburn constantly. Yeah. And nausea constantly. And they found nothing wrong with my esophagus, nothing wrong with my stomach. And so it's the 
the lengths that your anxiety can go to, Mm -hmm. it's not being worried. It's not being nervous. It's not being a little shaky. Your body physically makes you feel like there is something legitimately and very seriously wrong. And and there's not. And that's the frustrating part. Yes, absolutely. Just being able to very calmly discern what is something that is within my control, what's outside of the control, uh, mm-hmm. what can I let go of my control, which is, right? I think, one of the most difficult aspects of it. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, how acute stress is okay. It powers you through situations. You need, like, a medium level of arousal in order to best tackle things that, you know, could be considered a little nerve-wracking. Like, let's say if you're doing public speaking and that's not your thing, mm-hmm. or, you know, really having to buckle down on a project you have for work, whatever it is, or navigating a difficult situation in your family or friendship. But then right. chronic stress in which your body just doesn't calm down to mm-hmm. a resting state or it stays in those periods for prolonged periods of time and for uh and frequently right i mean it it is absolutely madness because it's like you said on the the cardiology on the muscular system like on the skeletal system you have those pains you have those aches god it's like it's so insidious and ubiquitous it's just everywhere and it's like the slow sinewy parasite in your system <laughs> that it's like i'm going to ruin your life and it does i feel like the worst part the worst part about anxiety pains and everything aside mm-hmm. is knowing you have it and not being able to stop it yes it's like if if you're if you're totally well right you haven't eaten anything weird your stomach's good everything's good mm-hmm. and and something like you remember an email you forgot to send and all of a sudden everything starts spiraling and you're sitting mm-hmm. there like supposed to be at the helm of your own ship and you have <laughs> <laughs> what kind of like got- a rowboat or like a kayak <laughs> <laughs> but like you're just sitting there and you can't steer it anymore but you're like i need to be steering this ship i know i can steer the ship and the ship like you can't move you're just sitting there watching the ship drive itself into the shore and you're like i'm 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 gonna crash and i i know how to not crash but i can't somehow get my hands on that wheel yeah as someone who's navigated this for many years of their life when did you finally get a grasp of if not being able to fully pull the brake on it but at least slow it down enough to calm yourself and (laughs) work through it more effectively and more adaptively um i mean it was therapy Mm -hmm. it was when i finally started talking to someone in grad school and the the dumb part is that i didn't go originally for the anxiety i went for the depression (laughs) come on surprise anxiety I know, right? I went for the imposter syndrome. I went for the fact that I couldn't get out of bed anymore. Like, that's why I went. And then sitting there talking to the therapist, she was like, has anyone ever diagnosed you with anxiety? And I just was thinking, I mean, no, but I, I've i always assumed I've had it for, you know, the last ever. And she just yeah, went, I think that's Yeah, would you like that plain. distinct honor, madam? <laughs> 
And she's like, I think that's playing a bigger role than you're than you think it is. And I went, oh, oh, you right. <laughs> because it's easy to have this false impression that we're more in control than we think we are. But at the same time, everything feels like it's out of our control. Yeah. And I mean, some of her questions, like I, I have a really, I had a really hard time. Um, it's getting easier now of comparing myself to others mm-hmm. and thinking that I have this horrific revert back to no one likes me like my brain just constantly likes to throw that little unwanted tidbit of advice in my brain every now and then Mm -hmm. and i remember bringing that up to her and she said well have you asked your friends and i went no (laughs) yeah who do you think i am (laughs) and she she just is like i think that might help if you ask people I'm like, how am I supposed to ask someone if they like me? And she said, just like that. Ask them. Do you, like, am I welcome here? Just ask them. And I went, you you can do that? <laughs> it, it can't be that simple, can it? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I really think that was the start of realizing how much anxiety did play a role in my everyday actions and reactions to people. Yes. Yeah, that small stimulus, it mountain out of a molehill. Oh, God. And like you said, that <sighs> one small question, it's always one little question. Is mm-hmm. this true? Or worst case scenario, let's say your worst fear is realized. And then what would happen? Did the world end? Are you right. still alive? Yes. Right. Cool. <laughs> it's so hard, though, to do that. Especially in a high stress environment like grad school or or any kind of academia at that yeah, point. Even low stakes environment if you're an anxious person. Yes. Everything seems high stakes. Everything ends up being code orange. And it's like, I can't I can't do that. And that's you know, that's what leads your body to burning out. It it cannot stay at that elevated state for extended periods of time. It will destroy itself basically doing that. Would you like a fun fact that's a true life example of that? Yes. (laughs) So when we were in grad school and I would go home, which was a couple hours away, but every time I went back home, even for a day, immediately got sick. Yep. And my family is sturdy stock, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. we'll get sick once every six years, and then it's like (laughs) all these things at once. Oh, man. which, Which is not a joke, not an exaggeration. But- during grad school, that was just the regular thing. Like, okay, three, two, one, time to die. <laughs> yeah, if you if you don't take time for yourself, your body will force you to take time. Yes, yeah. And Facts. it will not be fun at all. Because if you are constantly running into this wall and constantly striving to be better and do more and and be bigger than life – Mm-hmm. your body's going to make you hit those breaks and it is not going to be in any way or shape or form of what you want it to be. No, no. And it's so fascinating to me, the self-comparison, which I think is just one of the absolute worst things that we do to ourselves. Mm. The expectations we place on ourselves, the ones we think others place on us, either implicitly or explicitly, or... Mm-hmm as is the case with anxiety, 
most of the things that we worry about don't even happen. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Like in retrospect, you're like, it's fine. I did great. But during that time, you were a mess. You were a mess, girl. (laughs) Not you in particular, but you know. (laughs) Because I'm like, me too. (laughs) Raise your hand. What what about you? When is there any kind of turning point that you can point out or or think of that you were able to start getting a grasp on, okay, this is what this is. This is my signs or my triggers, you know. Where was that? I think it wasn't until I received a formal diagnosis and was like, "Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, you right." <laughs> Honestly, that was the biggest thing. It was a di- the GAD diagnosis that I was like, "This makes so much sense now. Oh my god. I can finally, yeah, the puzzle piece has, you know, the last piece has been put in. And from that, I was finally able to get more pinpointed support. And I don't know about you, but my brain, it probably is buff as heck because it's like an ultra marathon runner. It's just always going, always going. We'll oh. see my head, you know. And until. I had some medication management, which was such a saving grace Mm. in between, you know, having some outside support, either through like a psychiatrist or like talk therapy, whatever. And even just knowing that other people are going through it, because you know how it is when you're in the thick of it, you think your problems are exceptional, and you're the only (laughs) one that's going through them. Right. And I think it wasn't until then that the brain was able to mellow out a little bit. Mm. And that's why I also appreciate Eastern philosophy, Eastern tradition so much because of, let's say, what comes into your life comes into your life, but have the grace to let it go. Like flowing water, you know? But I think that's Mm -hmm. so hard, especially in Western society, where it's like, it's me by myself. There can be only one. (laughs) The time to go out, kick ass, be a rugged individualist, things like that. And, you know, all that pressure. And from mm. now I see kids at a younger, younger ages, just why? Why are we putting people through this? In the end, you know, work is just work. Mm-hmm. You know, things aren't bad. They're not good because that's yeah. such a emotionally labeled thing that we assign to it if something doesn't work out. It's like, oh, society's mean to me or I just have bad luck, whatever. Right. But no, like, things happen, but you got to keep on rolling. Yeah, I think some – the experience that I have that I will never, ever take for granted is when I went overseas and took a a summer semester in Istanbul, Turkey. Mm -hmm. And I got to see the lifestyle of a population totally different from me. I was the Mm -hmm. only American in my class. Mm -hmm. And – there the looks on my classmates faces because it was a it was a family class it was like a family psychology class oh okay so it's really interesting to talk about societal expectations or family expectations and it's so uncommon to live in a society where you are kicked out at 18 and expected to take care of yourself you're still a child then Yeah. Just my humble opinion, but. So when I told my classmates that, you know, I moved two hours away from home when I went to college, when I, I was working jobs and putting myself through college on, on scholarships. And, you know, I didn't, 
you know, my parents were there, but they were not expecting me to fail out. There was no allowance of that to happen. Mm -hmm. And they just looked at me and went, well, where's like, where's your familial support? I'm like, I call them every now and then. (laughs) And their minds were blown. Uh I'm like... (laughs) What, what are you guys talking about? And I mean, most of these people grew up with aunts, uncles, and grandparents living in the house their entire lives. Right. And just to think about constantly having a safety net, constantly having someone there to support you. To I mean, they might not be like coddling, but just to have someone there to hear you out or or pick you up, you know, when, when you need the help. I was mm-hmm. like – Shit, maybe we're doing it wrong. Yes, I would say we are, <laughs> quite frankly. And the expectations are getting so much higher. When I look at what jobs want from people, it's ridiculous. Like the list of achievements, but then mm-hmm. how is that reflected in the pay? How is that reflected in the work-life balance, the workplace culture? I mean, yep. it's trash garbage. And then by the time you retire, you are run ragged probably unhealthy with just numerous problems because of the stress, among other things. And what do you have left to enjoy of your life? I, uh, America has its problems. It sure does. (laughs) I really think that one of America's biggest problems is the fact that we put no stock in our people. No, No very disposable. Absolutely. We are disposable until we decide to find something better for ourselves and then we are a problem. Yes. Yeah. And it flabbergasts me. It flabbergasts me that there's like people like most Eastern European countries have months of vacation time that you can just take. Like you schedule it out. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I, if my parents wanted to take a week off or two weeks off, to go travel to the next state over even, like not even go overseas, just the next state over, is unheard of. They wouldn't be able to. My mom, I don't think, would even be able to take a week off. Ever. Which is so illegal. <laughs> I And that's just it. And it's not like she would be fired. It's just that they wouldn't have, quote unquote, the manpower or, you know, whatever. Yeah, to, babe, that's not my up. problem. <laughs> right. And I'm just like... It doesn't, like, who cares? But that's just, that's how it is. And it's this vicious cycle of of then you have to work, you have to push your body because then you have to pay your bills. Yes, it's an amazing culture to me because on one hand, you know, the line is just not there at all. There's no s- strict demarcation of when I go home, when I clock out, that is it, where so many people are mm. have their work email linked to their phones, <laughs> constantly checking that email, are expected yeah. to be available at all times, even weekends, or when you take paid time off, mm-hmm. which happened to me. Oh, God. You know, I had my manager writing, even though legally, like, I'm not obligated to respond. Yeah. And the associated feelings of guilt, of worry, like, oh, well... You know, it's my vacation, it's my paid time off that I let them know half a year in advance. But, like, they say I need to come back into the office and, you know, there's all these things. Who's going to do it? Like, this company's going to collapse without me there. And it's nuts. It is nuts. Like, if you're a manager and you think these things are okay, your employees probably hate you. (laughs) 
I'm telling you now, if you've never heard that before, they're thinking it. That's why there's, you know, there's been a bit of a rise of mental health days that it's, it's still laughed at and it frustrates me. Yeah. Because there's this huge banner almost that companies hold up of, oh, you know, we need to take care of our employees. We're a family. (laughs) We're a family. Oh, fuck that. But, you You know. You gotta run when you (laughs) hear that. (laughs) There's... There's this idea that, you know, your best employees are healthy employees. And that's true. Mm-hmm. However, no one is willing to put in any fucking effort to make that happen. And it burns me up as someone who has a background in IO psychology. Girl, how ridiculous is it that people have that kind of stress, that the benefits, the salary is not, it's just not manifested in day-to-day culture, the psychology, the simple psychology of, like, an oxygen mask analogy, right? When your mm-hmm. employees take care of themselves first, they're better able to return refreshed, rejuvenated, give you better ideas, more productivity, more focus. Uh-huh. Imagine that. A hundred percent. Imagine putting that effort into your workers to make a strong workforce and oh my God, have a group of people that won't quit after a year. Oh my God, have a group of people that'll take that extra step to really actually try at their jobs. It's just unheard of findings of people who have time for themselves just really blow a company's expectations out of the water. And it's like, none of this is news. None of this is news. Yeah, what do you mean, like, you don't want to support this totalitarian regime? <laughs> it's like, there are there are new studies coming out, right, of, where was this? I think in, in the UK, there are companies that are doing four-day work weeks. Love it. And their productivity, like, doubled or tripled in some places. And this is groundbreaking. And I'm like, it's not. No. It's not, though. <laughs> Like, instinctually, you're like, yeah, the body needs rest. The mind needs rest. I I mean, how many how many of you lovely listeners are out there who get through Sunday and just go, I, I, did, I had no time for myself this weekend. Most of the time, Saturday is a day of chores, and Sunday is barely a day of rest. And It's for the those- Sunday stomp. The moment you right. wake up, that, like, gripping panic of, like, oh, God, I got to do this, and then I got to talk to this person, and I have five meetings, and ugh. Right. And and on Sunday, that's, like, the one day you have of actual rest. And yeah. so when you do it, you waste the whole day doing nothing because you're almost frozen in panic because you're thinking about all the things you have to do Monday. Uh, you know what? It's stupid. <laughs> that's why this whole discussion i think it was the end of last year beginning of this year of quiet quitting that what do you mean you just go in your designated hours and when you leave you don't do work stuff that's not acceptable (laughs) what do you mean you're not able to be contacted by your boss and colleagues about stuff that doesn't really matter until you get in the workplace the next day anyway right what what do you mean you're not willing to sell your soul and sanity to a company that doesn't even give a shit about you? You know, this is the whole just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yes. 
Just because we can be available 24-7 does not mean we should. Just because places can be open 24-7 doesn't mean they should be. The only place, the only place that should ever be 24-7, 365, is a hospital, is an emergency room. That's it. Everything else can end. Everything else can have a stopping point and the world will not burn and you might not make an extra billion dollars that day, Mr. or Miss CEO, but who gives a flying fuck? Mm-hmm. Because people need a goddamn break. Yes. That's why I subscribe to the gospel of Miss Maxine Waters when she said reclaiming my time. Ooh, and tell me more. I'll tell you, at some point, I stopped caring at work. Mm-hmm. I initially started off with severe imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because I often find it's the people that care most that are rewarded with more work, oh, that yeah. are rewarded with more stress because you feel like you have more skin in the game and you just feel that, you know, you want to set a good impression. You want the quality of work to meet a certain expectation, but it's everything in between that that makes mm-hmm. it so difficult. So my first year... After grad school, you know, when I was fully licensed working independently, I would go and work two hours early. I would be busting my butt at work. And then I would be working at home. And the first several months, D, I think I slept between three to four hours a night. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would be falling asleep in meetings at work. Oh, God. And it took a number of different things, namely... You know, the lack of sleep, the exhaustion, just physically, mentally, and some really bad dealings with administrators. You know, when I finally started setting boundaries, and let me tell you, they didn't like that. Oh, And that's, you know, and there was a bunch of things that snowballed from there that I won't get into, but just saying that, oh, yeah, I don't matter as an employee. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's when you either make the decision... I'm going to change something and either leave this place. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to accept this and just let it, you know, go through me like shit through a goose. (laughs) Or you can just continue to be miserable until you retire, which so many people feel like there's no other option but that. See, that's my favorite part about this new generation. A lot of people, like you said, are talking about the next generation of workers, young millennials and, and Gen Z and You're hearing it again, as it was printed in the 1920s newspaper, no one wants to work anymore. And I heard a really good rebuttal of, it's not that no one wants to work anymore, it's that no one wants to be exploited anymore. Love it. (laughs) That part. And it's, and that's what a lot of people don't understand, is that people, humans enjoy creativity. They enjoy using their brains in a manner that best suits them. I will I will give it that caveat. Which is why you have people who enjoy teaching, and you have people who enjoy working on cars, and you have people who enjoy IT, and you have people who enjoy being doctors. We're not going to enjoy the same things because our brains are not wired the same. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But this idea that you are no longer your own person, you belong to the company you work for, is outdated and unnecessary and moronic. I am not a company. And I am very privileged to be able to not have that lifestyle. 
And I, I think that's a, a big thing that a lot of people have to remember. And I know all of this is stemming from anxiety, but I mean, everyone then has anxiety to some level of expectation. Yeah. That I wonder how much of a cure it would be to break this 24-7 cycle. Yeah, yeah. Just like the workplace expectations are almost 24-7 availability. Mm -hmm. The cycle of anxiety works very much the same way, where you're just constantly running in circles and you never feel like there's an end to the track. Right. And which leads, I think, to a very important point that we've touched upon, but more explicitly, how does anxiety now manifest for you physically, mentally, mm. and how does it affect your overall wellness? Like, let's say with sleep, weight, things like that. So I am on medication to help with my anxiety. I have weekly therapy sessions to help with my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I work a job that is, while I am there, low-key stress. It's manageable. It's very doable. The problem mm -hmm. is that my job is a sub-position, which means notifications go out at any time, any given day, Got saying, it. hey, there's an opening. And it's first come, first serve. So I do have my email linked to my phone. Mm -hmm. And I do have my work schedule linked to my phone so that as soon as something pops up on a trade board, I can I can submit for it. But at this point, my brain has decided that I am getting too good at managing my anxiety. <laughs> no, don't say that. And so I was able to keep track of my symptoms pretty well once I was able to understand my triggers through grad school and then when I found out that most of my stomach issues were linked through anxiety, mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, take some anti-nausea medicine, take deep breathing exercises, and work through it. So now my biggest symptom is chest pain. And it's severe chest pain. Yes. It's like my body almost has to figure out new ways to make me go to the hospital. And so adaptability, like, man. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get a handle on, on these chest pains. Mm -hmm. But I mean, when it gets intense to the point where this hasn't stopped for 30 minutes to an hour, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the ER because it's chest pains. And even at the ER, if you go in and say I'm having chest pains, you will be brought back almost immediately. Yes. And then I sit there hoping almost hoping that i it's not anxiety because at that point i'm gonna look like a fucking idiot well no because it's just so common right and it's like such a gremlin <laughs> of a condition because it switches things up on you just when you yeah. think you have it figured out it's like psych now we're gonna move <laughs> on to chest pains and you know what you're gonna have pain in your left arm so it feels like a heart attack <laughs> yep it's like gotta go full yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Until next time. See you in like three days when you got that big work project. <laughs> you know, it's always lurking. It's always lurking. Yeah. Like a horrifying house guest. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Anxiety is the horrifying house guest of your brain. Um, for me, physically, it used to manifest as this severe chest pain, just like you. Mm. And very occasionally headaches. And then mm. again, when I had the chance for that decompression, that's when I just would get sick. 
So while I don't get sick, while I, thank goodness, don't have the chest pains too much anymore, it happens very rarely. So here and there, but again, very manageable passes. The Mm -hmm. endo flare-ups. My body seizes and tightens up like no one's business. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, practicing being present and then being aware of my own body, like, oh, yeah, that tightness in your shoulders. Why does it? Why are your shoulders all the way up to your ears? Why is your fist clenched? Why is your jaw clenched? Yeah. You know, so little things to check in with my body throughout the day and be like, you've held in your breath for a little bit now. Maybe it's time to let that exhalation go, huh? You know, let right. the body do its thing. So those are the f- more physical aspects. And I will say that the endo flare-ups are probably the worst thing because it's like you and I talked about before. When they hit, Mm. they stay there. Case in point, I had a flare-up that happened early yesterday, took three painkillers, didn't work, and it took until 6 p.m. or something, if not close to 7 p.m. for the body to be like, okay, we're mellow yellow right now. It's all good. It's time (laughs) to relax. The mental ways is, like you said, that spiral. It's so easy once a little thing starts going for it to snowball. And how do you stop that train of thought? So overall on the wellness piece, that translates as trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, Mm -hmm. and waking numerous times. So overall, not a restful sleep. Feeling tired and like, I'm a morning person, but I just feel so out of it. I don't feel like myself, you know, when anxiety is particularly high. So Mm -hmm. that would probably be the most difficult aspect oh god yeah it's like i mean a whole other disease is chronic fatigue it's it's an actual yes Uh uh-huh diagnosable problem and i don't think a lot of people understand that when i have said i'm tired i'm not sleepy it's my soul is tired my bones are tired it's It's literally, I just want to lay in a dirt hole for six hours. I'm that tired. (laughs) Six feet below the earth kind of dirt hole. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so it's, I mean, the best word is what you said earlier. It's insidious. It just gets Mm. in your head and it becomes this creeping vine of a mental thought. And it just starts to take over. Yeah, To put it clinically, pernicious at best, obsequious in the very least. (laughs) Yeah. That means just harmful. (laughs) It is bad. (laughs) It is. And so I feel like we've done, we've done a good job about how anxiety has affected both of us and where it's kind of started and, and. How's it going? (laughs) The answer is not great. (laughs) But so I think it'd be a good way, like a way to end this, at least on a positive of Uh what are some things you do that Mm -hmm. help? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think that's a great question. And some things that kind of also give a good challenge to the adapting nature of my anxiety, at least. Mm -hmm. So the discipline, but also the grace if things don't go to plan. So I'm just going to say this before I leave with my suggestions for me is creating a good calm down routine Mm. at at night Mm -hmm. so whether that's you know checking in with your body sending some breath there letting 
those limbs, muscles, whatever, calm down. Mm -hmm. I really like to drink tea, heavy Mm -hmm. on the tea. (laughs) Drink something warm, you know, get that nice little warmth from the inside. Read a book. Mm -hmm. And I often like to read things that are just like very engaging. So it doesn't give me time to think about whatever I'm worried about. Mm, okay. But more than anything, it's that presentness and very much an active effort. And sometimes it's tougher than others to just be okay with what's going on and how I'm feeling about it, even if it's not a good feeling, but sitting with that feeling, seeing like, okay, I see you. And that's it. Rather than actively trying to fight the current, go with the current. Mm. And I often find yeah. just the simple acknowledgement makes things so much better because- You know, it's like fighting with the pain in your body, the tension in your body. The more gentle Mm -hmm. approach is often the more effective approach. Absolutely. And regularly eating, I'm really terrible about this because when I tend to get very anxious, I don't eat and I lose weight. So. Me too. Hey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's awful because then you just like, again, it's the spiral of depravity and making your body feel bad when your mind's already feeling bad and then Mm -hmm. you feel even worse and blah 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 (laughs) and sleep especially i know it's gonna be rough so i try not to have the anxiety and the expectation like oh god oh god it's you know we got one more hour until we probably should lay down and and try to go to sleep you know for a reasonable amount of time whatever so calm down routine breathing i love yoga yeah. You know, because I'll tell you, my lower back, my hamstrings, oh boy, they are lifting the weight <laughs> of the world. They are Atlas carrying the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. But oh, and also like a sh- nice shower, like with cold oh. water, not like a boiling hot melt the meat off your bones shower. I know for some people that's great in relaxing the muscles, but mm-hmm. like a temperate shower or even a cold one feels very nice, kind of snap you out of it. You know, I read, I either read or I heard somewhere, someone said, if you think everyone hates you, you need to eat something. And if you think you hate everyone, you need to take a shower. No, you need a Snickers. (laughs) You're not you when you're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that because it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. And it's like, how often do you hear the saying like shower thoughts? Because you zone out in the shower. You don't even have time to think. You're just like enjoying the experience. And how just being present, truly, like, you don't have your leg in the past, you don't have that leg in the future, mm-hmm. you're just where you're at, be where your feet are, and you feel so much better, but you're, it's hard. Yeah. D, tell me, <laughs> what are some strategies that you've tried that have been effective, that you've kind of finessed over time, that mm-hmm. um, maybe even haven't been the most effective for you, but have worked for others that you know? So for me, my anxiety can accumulate. And and the more I, the older I get, the more I learn that I think part of it's anxiety, but part of it might be something else. Because I have always had what I called panic attacks. Mm-hmm. But when I learned and did research on what a panic attack is, I don't think that's what I have. I don't know if it's just a generalized anxiety attack, because a panic is stemmed from something happening. Mm-hmm. But for me, a lot of the times, I don't spiral until it all comes to a head. It's like the the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's when I have my, my meltdown, basically. Mm-hmm. So 
a couple of things that I have found help, at least in those moments of sheer panic, is one, holding ice. Either holding cold packs, holding ice cubes themselves, that pain from being so cold in your hands helps distract you from your brain starting to spiral and making you think that you're sick and dying. Mostly it's a it's a grounding exercise. Of, yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, this is real. This is actual pain that's happening. This isn't in my head. And so you're able to focus on that mm. compared to the spiral. And that has actually snapped me out of the middle of a panic attack before. So it has worked and it does work for me. So even as like a proactive strategy... When mm-hmm. you recognize the signs in your body. Okay. I think yep. that's really good to know that it is possible to put a break on things. Yes. And especially for me, and see, this is this is part of why I don't know if it's a panic attack or not. So one of the things that happens if it's bad, if it's bad, I can't talk. I I stop being able to speak. And it is awful. I get trapped in my brain and I just, I can't get my mouth to move. I cannot get words out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm married, and from being with me for as long as my husband has, he knows my signs as well. And so it helps then to have not quite code words, but if something's bad, I can tell him it's my brain, or it's getting bad, or ice, you know, just one word <laughs> – tidbits and this Mm -hmm. is what he knows that means and i think to have you know a buddy system basically have someone who can help you through those moments is one of the best things that you can have because again that's another grounding piece where they know that like they're not a part of this inner world and so they're my my rebound board you know okay so they're not freaking out so this isn't actually life or death situation and if you are that person for someone never say calm down never tell them it's not don't go there (laughs) no your your role to be the rock is sit there and talk them through it you know sit there i think one of the best things you can do is give them facts you know this is today's date tell me what what you see and that's another thing it's like the it's the senses thing you know that one Or it's like five things you can see, three things, four things you can hear, three things you can touch. Oh, cool. Okay. So you're folks, again, focused and present. You're being present in the moment. Yes. It forces the person going through the panic, going through the anxiety to recenter. Like, okay, so this is the room that I am in. Here's the things that there are. This is what I can see, smell, taste, touch, hear, all of those things uh, is a really good grounding exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I have used personally that helped was, uh, little breathing videos. Oh, like guided kind of breathing? Yeah. Okay. So there was a moment a couple years ago that I was having really bad meltdown, really bad panic attack. And it was late at night because that's when they happen. It was like two in the morning. No one was awake. My husband was off for work, like miles away from me yeah and i had no one and i couldn't catch my breath i couldn't think straight so i ended up there's there's different hotlines 
you can use in Google, but there is an anxiety-specific text hotline. Oh, cool. And so I texted them, and we started having, you know, a bit of a text back-and-forth conversation, and they sent me the link to these breathing exercises that helps you track, you know, breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, out for six seconds. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, those really fucking work. <laughs> like... Forcing yourself to get air into your lungs and holding it, I feel like, is the part that you you basically need to calm your heart rate down. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, to sum up, <laughs> have a buddy, get some ice packs, and have some pre-downloaded breathing technique videos on hand. Those have helped in the moments that I couldn't get to a professional, basically. Yeah. Your your day-to-day little nuggets that you can keep in your pockets. Yeah, and as nice as it is to have outside people in your corner in the form of a buddy, a friend, you know, a sponsor, or even a professional, when you're not able to have access to that, and it shouldn't be your only anchor, mm-hmm. you know, you got to have the means to help yourself right. when you're out in the world or at home, whatever have some of these kits, you know, look into them, even don't be frustrated if it doesn't work for you or it worked for some time and then it stopped Mm -hmm. because such is the insidious nature. So you got to be flexible too. But I think you'll be so proud of yourself for having done that and, you know, having and feel more empowered having the tools and even that sense of just knowing that that's available to you may even help in combating some of those feelings, those big feelings that you're experiencing. Yeah. So, so to wrap up, is there any final thoughts and opinions that you have, S, that people should know about for anxiety? Just be kind to yourselves. Mm. How about you, Dee? Be patient with yourself. Mm. You can you can be nice, but you have to have the patience to be nice. <laughs> yeah, it takes two. That's for sure. <laughs> Those go hand in hand, baby. <laughs> But yeah, it, you have to have patience and and also know that it's never going to just be great, you know. It's not going to be an uphill trajectory. We're going to have our pits and valleys and that's okay. Yes, this too shall pass. Yes. And if you just need to listen to old episodes to help get you through it, then by all means. <laughs> <laughs> with that being said thank you everyone for listening if you have enjoyed it thus far leave a like a rating subscribe bookmark shout us out into the universe and send us to your friends tell them that we are awesome and worth listening to we greatly appreciate all that you do for us and until next week stay alive friends take care everyone <laughs>